It is the same reading from last week. As I said, uh, we're sort of continuing here. Well, not sort of. We're continuing uh, to reflect on the mystery uh, that's uh, the Holy Trinity, the mystery. But we're reflecting on the wisdom of the church over the years, uh, how the church has understood what the Trinity does reveal uh, about God, about us, about our world, about God's involvement in the world. And we see here this Trinity formula in the Great Commission is what we usually call it. You know, Jesus commissioning the disciples to go forth and continue the ministry that he has begun in his name and in his empowering presence. Um, and I'm really grateful for Dan's communion remarks because it really dovetails well into some of what we're going to talk about later, but also it reminds us that how we go about following... Well, let me read the passage. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Dan's remarks reminded us of how God is with us to the end of the age and of how we are with each other to the end of the age, and how we relate to a creation that is perpetually groaning until the end of the age. We do it with deep humility, with deep hope, recognizing that what binds us together is our brokenness. And in just a moment, as we continue to reflect on the Trinity, and the mysteries uh, of the Trinity and what it reveals to us about God, us, and our world and how God is involved in the world and with us, when you think about all that, we will also um, think be, I think we'll be uncovering some, some deep mystery but some, some deep truth about how it is that God binds God's self to us in God's own brokenness. That's where we're headed. Uh, let's pray. God, we pray um, that you would open our eyes, that we would see Jesus, that we would see Jesus in his brokenness, uh, Jesus in his resurrection, Jesus in his ascension, Jesus in the world to come, and that we would see our home with Jesus through that entire journey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I just want to take a glance back at last week real quick. Um, we mentioned uh, that over the generations, uh, one, th one thing that the church has agreed on is, is that you can't understand the Trinity. You acknowledge the Trinity is a deep mystery. Uh, but there are things that the Trinity, as a mystery revealed, so to speak, uh, tells us about God, tells us about ourselves, tells us about our world and God's involvement in the world. And um, 
said last week that we would just focus on two of those gleanings. The second one's for today. We mentioned that both of them have to do with God's love. Not surprising, since God reveals God's self as love. Um, the first gleaning that we talked about last week uh, was that because God has always existed in relationships of perfect self-giving love, given and received, given and received, given and received from all eternity and for all eternity, because of that, God doesn't need anything. And we talked about how that's good news. And we, uh, we echoed uh, Anna Karoff's wonderful communion reflection, and which even dovetailed to Mary's wonderful communion reflection last week, which were reflections on just that, because God doesn't need anything. God is free to give everything, and that's what God does all the time. Um, and everything that God does, creation, redemption, even judgment, even when God is angry at the unrighteousness and the victimization of people in the world, all of it comes from love. And we noted that God is the only being in existence, which means God's the only being that you will ever know, who has no self-interest that does not include the well-being and flourishing of you and of others and of the whole world. And I mentioned an off-the-cuff remark last week, because I know that's just a deep thing to ponder for a minute, but you know, I mentioned, to sort of give you a chance to soak that in last week, I mentioned that, um, that maybe you should think about one time when you encountered a human being and you thought to yourself, wow, this experience is so deeply humbling to me. It's almost embarrassing because I'm pretty sure that, that this interaction that I've had with this mortal, <laughs> with this human being, that in that moment, all they wanted was what was best for me. It's like a foreign place, right? I mean, doesn't happen very often. Even in the best of relationships, it's what we aspire to and what we're living into and what we're growing into if we're walking with Jesus. But we all can point, and this is why we have communion each week, because we're broken and we don't do it perfectly and we come and we receive forgiveness and empowerment to start again. But in those moments where you are in that sweet spot, it's almost so weird that you immediately feel like embarrassed, deeply humbled, but hopefully come around to gratitude and joy for that kind of interaction. But God is that way, angled that way toward you every single moment of your day. Think about that. That was first gleaning last week. Now today I want to come back to what we'll call the second gleaning. And uh, this is wisdom of the church uh, over centuries, okay? Um, if I were to footnote all this, it would be a really long list. And if I do quote somebody, I'll, I'll give them credit. But, you know, this is not me. This is me trying to synthesize some of what the church has said about what we're going to call the second gleaning. We didn't have time to talk about last week. And, and here it is. God's triune nature enables the transcendent God 
to be present with us as God in our suffering. In our suffering. God does not communicate love from afar in messages that are only words of encouragement or words about a pie-in-the-sky heaven in the future. God's Word has become flesh and lived among us. God has entered into the creation in the physical presence of Jesus, the suffering servant, and transformed the suffering of humanity into triumph in the resurrection and the ascension. Now, more about that in a moment. I want to tell you a story. So, um, I mentioned this person last week, Jürgen Moltmann, uh, who may be the most helpful of all of the theological minds at pondering what the Trinity reveals about God and human beings, the world, and how God involves God's self in the world. Um, he, he wrote in most of the half, last half of the 20th century, and he's still writing today. He's a non-engineerian, very lucid and very loving and very kind. Um, he has written extensively about how God is present world in our suffering and how that's good news for us, sobering good news for us. But here's where it all comes from. When he was a teenager, 16 years old, he was drafted into the regular German army uh, in Hamburg, where he grew up. And um, he, along with so many others, as he puts it, teenage boys, I think about that, they're teenagers here. You can only imagine, right? Uh, drafted into a war that he didn't understand uh, and posted to this giant anti-aircraft um, uh, base in Hamburg that was really causing problems for the British Royal Air Force. And so the British Royal Air Force in, a, in an operation codenamed Gomorrah destroyed it and Hamburg and many other people along the way. Um, and Moltmann talks about that being the first moment that he cried out to God. Um, didn't hear anything back. So soon after, he was taken prisoner of war and transferred to a POW camp in Scotland. So I guess he's 16 still, maybe 17, something like that. And um, the Red Cross gives him a, a Gospel of Mark in German. And uh, he said, for the first time, I, I read uh, the Bible consciously, so to speak, like paying attention to it, right? And, and so he comes to the end of, of Mark, or close to the end, and there's that, you know, one of Jesus' last words that you heard here at Good Friday over and over again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he said, at that moment, I heard a divine human being 
divine and human. Saying what I felt. God forsakenness. And he said, at that moment, I realized I could believe in a God who embraces humanity as a human being while remaining God and experiences what we all do. God forsakenness. But in the experience of it, moves through it to resurrection, ascension, which promises the world to come, which promises that all those evils and unrighteousness will be righted. And Moltmann converts and spends the rest of his life writing about the God who suffers, mainly. He writes a lot about hope, but he always starts with, you get to hope through the God who suffers. It's a powerful mystery, full of paradoxes, this idea that God is present, suffering at Auschwitz, suffering in our neighborhoods in Chicago, gun violence along with those suffering it, suffering with countless African Americans persecuted and all the lynchings and everything else. God is present, suffering with and suffering for and taking the evil into God's self and breaking its back and promising hope. You know, that um, passage that Dan read and gave such a thoughtful reflection on, um, there's a a word play in that passage. Uh, It's the word that's translated groan. And the creation groans. We groan with the creation. The Spirit groans with us. And the Spirit groans for us when we don't know what to do and we don't know what to pray, we don't know what to say, the Spirit prays for us and groans with us. It's difficult to find applications for uh, a mystery revealed that still remains so mysterious even when we talk about what it reveals, right? Um, But it's not impossible If anything at all we could take away from this, it would be that God's suffering with us, personally present, experiencing God forsakenness in all the places in the world and all the places in our lives where we experience God's forsakenness, 
at a minimum, it's our true north, right? There's never a moment in the day when we should be confused about what God thinks about us. The God who is love, the God who creates, redeems, judges, and is even angry in love. That's the God we trust. We trust with our suffering. We trust with our brokenness. And that's the God that is somehow at work and wants us to come out and join him in that work. That God, that's the same God that is somehow at work in the midst of all the suffering that comes across our newsfeed, of all the suffering that we know about in our lives personally. And because it's our true north, we need to see it as invitation. Invitation to go and meet God in those situations. And an invitation to organize things that are precious to us as an outpouring of our self-giving love in response to God's self-giving love. So I guess, you know, one nitty-gritty application would be, you know, the things that are precious to us, well, time is precious to us, money is precious to us, that sort of thing, you know, and, and so when we look at our calendars, do we see reflected in our calendars that true north? You know, are our calendars organized to go out and meet God when God is out there suffering with those who are suffering? Is our, is our budget organized so that we would appropriate resources to go out and meet God in the places where God is out there suffering but not pointlessly suffering, always suffering with redemption in mind. So those are some musings. I promised a short homily today, and I kind of gave that, uh, because we're going to have the open house at the, uh, at the new building later. So I'm going to wrap up there, and we'll jump back on the lectionary train next week. Let's pray. God, we pray that um, we would be grateful for your revelation as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Grateful for your revelation as the one who suffers God-forsakenness paradoxically as we do. And we pray that we would respond with the whole of our lives in a way that makes for our human flourishing so that we would organize our time and our resources, the affections of our heart, around meeting you in the midst of a broken and fallen world, aligning ourselves with your pattern of redemptive love and working towards doing everything we can to bring our communities into a space that already reflects the peace and the shalom of your world to come. Enable us to do all these things as Grace Chicago Church Christ's name we pray. Amen.